Olivia. She's a character. All right. Well, good morning. Um, this is an exciting morning. It's the, the kickoff of our new series called Cosmic Christmas. Cosmic Christmas. And uh, it should be, this is the kickoff of our Advent season, which should start a season of expectation for you. That's really what Advent is all about. Um, we are coming into a Christmas season. Hopefully you guys all enjoyed your Thanksgiving or Thanksgivings, which some of us, I know we had four or so <laughs> that we went to. And uh, we got to end last night with my parents um, and have a nice, chill, relaxing Thanksgiving night. Um, and today starts this new season for us, looking forward to Christmas. So for some of you, as you came in, I said, Merry Christmas. It is the season um, as we start to look forward to uh, the, the coming of our king, the promise of a coming king, which is the, the first uh, title of this series. Um, Cosmic Christmas is going to be a series where I'm excited about because every night when I look up in the sky and I see these stars, I realize that these are the same stars that Jesus looked at. That the stars in the sky have been present from the beginning of creation. And they tell us a story. There's been a story of Christmas all throughout the Old Testament. The way that the, the wise men from the east were able to travel to Israel to welcome in the coming king, the coming of Jesus Christ the Messiah, was that they would look up into the stars and they would see what was happening. There's a story being told from the beginning of time to now, to forever, right? I thought it was pretty cool. Um, last night, my dad shared with me this little memoirs of my great-great-grandma, your great-grandma, my great-great-grandma. And I started thinking, this is so cool. This, it's not coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe this is God working things, piecing things together. In this memoir of my great-great-grandma, there's a story of my great-great-grandpa and the origin or origination of Appanoose Brethren Church in Franklin County, Kansas, right? In 1882, thinking, my grandpa, my great-great-grandpa was a brethren pastor in 1882. This is before the split and before all that stuff, and it, and it talks about in there a, a great woman. She shares her faith over and over again in her process through triune immersion and her partaking of threefold communion, and I was like, this, this is our people. This is what we do, and I thought this is over 140 years ago, 141 years ago when they started this church, the same stars were in the sky then that are in the sky now that will be in the sky if, if it's here in 140 years from now. The stars are consistent throughout all of time. And what, we, what I plan to do or what I want, want to do through this series is take you through the book of Revelation, looking back on history, the historical account of Jesus coming to earth, take the pieces from that and say, this is what it means for today, and then also look forward into the futuristic apocalyptic literature that Revelation is and say, this is the implications of what is to come, of what is to happen in the, the predictions or the prophecies of Revelation. So today, we begin this five-week series through the prophetic book of Revelation. If you guys want to open 
to Revelation chapter 1, we're going to begin in this book. Now, Revelation is definitely one of the most divisive, confusing, but also beautiful and much-needed books in the Bible. It's divisive because people try to make predictions about what these prophecies mean without fully knowing or comprehending what they're standing for, what they are predicting. It's confusing because the imagery that's presented can be scary, can be uh, ridiculous at times. It can be um, majestic. It can be awe-inspiring. But we don't really know a lot of the things that are presented in this book yet, and it's beautiful It's beautiful because all of these things tell us what is to come. What is to come, that that Jesus is to come, that these events are going to unfold, and as they unfold, our eyes are going to be enlightened, and we're going to say, oh, wow, this has already been told. The story has already been told in the same way that when Jesus entered into the earth, they looked back on the books of Isaiah and Daniel and said, This was prophesied 700 years ago. Now it's happening. We look at Revelation, we'll say this was written 2,000 years ago. Now it's happening. So as we spend the next few weeks in Revelation, I want to share a few words up front. We are not going to agree on everything. (laughs) Um, We are not going to think that the imagery that is presented is the same thing on a lot of different things. Um, There are many interpretations, there are are so many different lenses that have looked at this book and said, this is what this means, okay? There's so much speculation on this book, but the point is not that we all agree. The point to Revelation is not not for us to all agree on the same things, but to grow, okay? I'm not going to try to convince you of my opinion about what some of these things mean. I'm not going to say that this is matter-of-factly unless it is matter-of-factly written, okay? I'm not going to try to convince you, but I do want to challenge you and challenge all of us to grow in what this book says. So our purpose is not agreement, but it's maturity, okay? We want to mature because we can disagree. This is what we talked about last week in Unity through the book of Romans. We can disagree and walk away and actually miss the point of Jesus and his revelation. Unless we can come together in unity and say, this book was written for us, let's grow and try to understand it together, okay, we're missing the point of this book. So I know that we're going to have disagreements. Don't worry, it's going to be okay, all right? It's okay for us to disagree. So the, the letter of revelation that, that John gets from Jesus Even though it was written to the seven churches of Asia Minor, which are now currently on the the western side of Turkey, right, was actually a circular letter that should have been passed throughout this entire region, and it would go from house church to house church, and they would sit down and they would actually read the entire thing out loud together. This book is meant to be read out loud. We're supposed to read the Bible out loud together. And we, we've got to break our individualistic mindset in America that this is just for me. There is a purpose in an individual relationship that you will have with Jesus, but there is also a dramatic uh, purpose 
for the church to read aloud the Word of God. That we are supposed, supposed to study this together. So let's start. I want to read just the first eight verses of this together. And if you want to follow along on the screen. Okay, I got them up here to follow along. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. First point here is that this book is meant to be a blessing for us. Above all other things, above the prophetic visions, above the prophecies, above um, the timeline even, this, meant, this book is meant to be a blessing for us, that when we read it, we should be encouraged. We should, we should receive revelation that, that there is victory in the end in Christ. We may not know the timeline of it all, but we will see the story unfold. Greetings and doxology from verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, the ones that I was talking about. He says, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his power and father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's pray. God, we, we just read the introduction to this book and we can't help but fall on our face and worship you. God, that you have had this entire story written from the beginning of time, a, a story of love, a story of tragedy, a story of overcoming and perseverance, and through it all we see you, Jesus, and we see your purpose in it all, and then we see ourselves positioned in the center of your love. I pray, Lord, that as we read through this book, it would be a blessing to everyone who hears. We pray this in your name. Amen. Three points that I want us to gather from this letter. This letter is not meant to be a timeline, but is meant to transform us. The events that happen throughout this book are not meant to be necessarily in order from this one to this one to this one. Some happen earlier, some happen later. 
because the purpose is not to give us a timeline of the events that unfold, but it's meant to transform us in the way that we think about future events, about things that are happening, about things that are happening right now that we've been praying for Israel and Palestine for the last five weeks, every service. Because as we read this book, we recognize that, oh, this could be an initiation of the end of times. This could be the beginning of birth pains. This could be what Jesus was talking about when he gave this revelation to John. The the purpose of this book should transform us, that as we study it and read it and see it, something inside of us should be churning. This book is not meant to be about the Antichrist, but about the living Christ. That there will be mention of the Antichrist coming. The enemy will be on display, but it's not about him. He's a part of the story. But it's actually about the living Christ. And then third, this, this is a book that we come to not to figure out what it's all about, but to fall down and to worship that promised coming king. So we will use our intellect to try to understand the pieces that we can, but more than our minds, it should stir our hearts. Everything within us, it should stir everything within us to to try to see what is this coming king all about. I don't know why we have 66 books in the Bible, and we can go to 65 of them and say, I want to learn from this. And then on that last one, we go, oh, but I don't understand it. It scares me. There's too many things in there for for me to get mixed up on. The songs, the imagery, the poetry, it's meant to bring us face to face with the living God. We're meant to see him. So let's not try to figure out what each of these little things look at. Let's fall down and worship God because we see the story unfolding. So here's John. He's written this book for us. He writes this book from a place of exile. He's been exiled onto the island of Patmos for his faith. He's been been captured and imprisoned because he's bold about sharing his faith about Jesus. This is 50 years after Jesus had died, right? So Christianity is starting to take root and people are hearing about Christ. John is one of those pastors in Ephesus, and around that region, who's proclaiming boldly his faith in Christ. He gets to this place of exile, and he encounters the living Christ as he turns around, and he sees this image of the living God. Jesus himself reveals himself to John. I mean, we could spend times, like weeks and weeks, maybe we will do a series on this later, about what God does to us in times of exile, when we actually position ourselves in a place or get positioned in a place where there's nothing else for us except for that that time spent alone with God. God shows up to John, and this is where we get some of our most profound letters in all of the Bible. The other epistles that were written, a lot of them were written when the, the author was subjected to exile. And God reveals these things to us. I know God has done it in my life where he's revealed things in the dark night of the soul. When we're sitting under the stars and we start to reflect on Jesus and say, God, here I am. John is is on this island and he says, here I am. 
50 years ago, Jesus, I, I knew you, I saw you, I saw your ministry, I saw you die and then resurrect, and then ascend into heaven, and now we're waiting for your return, and then boom, he returns to John. And he comes to John. Jesus appears to John. If Jesus were to walk in this room right now and come down this aisle, would you pay attention? Yeah, I know you. We all would. He'd be glowing. We couldn't even look at him. His face would be so brilliant. And this is what happens with John. He's he's trying to make out this image of of the, the returned Jesus into his life. And Jesus says, hey, write this down. I have some words for you. Now, John had seen Jesus before, but he'd never seen Jesus like this. Shining. Jesus reveals himself as the one who is, who was, and is to come. The eternal nature of Jesus should blow us away. That from the beginning of time, Jesus was. And when he came to this earth and and where he is right now, Jesus is and he is to come. That's why he starts this letter with the one who was and is and is to come. If you're following Jesus and then 50 years after Jesus flies into heaven and you're doing your best to live a faithful life witness and life before Christ and he gives you these words to write down I think we should grasp them we should hold them very tightly he says he comes as the alpha and the omega in the Greek language the alpha is the beginning letter and the omega is the end letter it's a way of saying Jesus was there in the beginning and Jesus will be there in the end and, I, and we get this image of, of Jesus. He's wearing like a long robe and he's got a tattoo on his, on his leg kind of thing is what it looks like. And, and some people have, I've heard him described as like Gandalf the White, right? This is, or I, 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 I try to, it's kind of like a Conor McGregor where he's got a distinctive image on him. If you're an MMA fan, you know what I'm talking about? No? Okay, lost you on that one. But you see this warrior Jesus sort of return. And it says in, in that last verse, if I can go back to it, in verses 7 through 8, it says, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is actually a quote from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. As it's looking back into the Old Testament, 3,000 years ago, this was predicted. And there was a double meaning to this prophecy that Jesus would come as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. And he would fulfill all the other 500 prophecies in the Old Testament about this this one singular event, Jesus coming to the earth. He was, he is, and now it's taking on another meaning of he is to come. When he comes again, he's going to be coming with the clouds, and we're going to look upon him, and we're all going to mourn him. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. 
Amen. He comes back. When he comes back, the promise of this coming king, he comes shouting a proclamation of victory. This image of Jesus has a sword in his mouth. This is why we, we don't have to fight right now because we know where our victory comes from. Jesus' victory is the sword in the mouth, the word of God being proclaimed to all people that he will overcome all evil things and be the righteous one seated on the throne. Now he's coming back and he tells John, I'm coming back. Write this down. This is what it's going to look like. Jesus walks among the churches and he knows where we've been and where we are and where we are going. I find it beautiful. And if you skip over to Revelation chapter 2 real fast, when he starts to address the church in Ephesus, the first two words that he says to this church, says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus walks among us. He was, he is, he walks among us. He walks among the churches. He walks within you and I. If, if he has indwelt us, if he indwells us and lives within our hearts, he is walking amongst us. We are walking people of Christ. And it says Jesus walks among the churches. And then the first two words he says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. I know your heart. I know where you've been, where you are, and where you are going. If you can find comfort in that this morning, that when Jesus shows up to you, he already knows you. He knows all of your past, and he loves you. He knows where you are right now, the things that you're struggling with, and he cares for you. And he knows what is going to happen, that he has this plan in place, and he knows. If, if I had a distant relative in my life that came to me and said, I know, son, or I know, friend, immediately I would be captured by his love for me, that he walks among us and he knows us. To the church of the Ephesians in chapter 2, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. He knows where they've been. He knows what they've done. I heard a, a story about a, a youth pastor that I can relate with. He um, promised to do a winter camp, and he was preaching these messages at winter camp, and the junior hires just were not following, right? You guys know junior hires. Anybody have junior hires? I know Lizzie does. Okay. If you've had one or you have one, you know. It's, it's like, oh, squirrel. And, and you can lose them real quick, um, especially nowadays. And he was preaching this sermon as he was going through the book of, or not the book, the story of Elijah and the calling down of fire from, from, um, from heaven on the prophets of Baal. He said, how can I capture their attention? 
And I wonder, maybe we should even do this in here, but how can I capture your attention, right? And he's thinking, how can I capture their attention? He said, let's douse the fire with gasoline, right? Let's get some logs that are just soaked in kerosene or gasoline, and then we can throw them in the fire, and then let's put a guy up in the tree, because they're outside, and, and when, I, when I say, fire from heaven, you can drop down like a roll of toilet paper that's also doused, doused in kerosene, right? And it, when it lights, it'll just be like a, a fire that shoots straight up in the air. Right? Wouldn't that be cool? Do you think I'd have your attention then? I mean, we can get someone up there. It wouldn't be that hard. No? Okay. Deb's saying no. So he starts preaching on Elijah and the calling down of fire from heaven and he preaches too long. <laughs> and when it gets to the point where this guy is dropping the toilet paper from the, from the tree, it falls down and thud. <laughs> All of the fuel within the, the toilet paper had gone away or died. And one of the junior hires, of course, from the back goes, Where's the fire? think this is our problem people look at us from the outside the world looks at us looks in at the church says where's the fire where's the fire where is your first love remember back to the time when you first fell in love with Jesus when did you first fall in love with Jesus? I know when I first fell in love with Jesus and I started going up to Bible school with my brother, every weekend we were out in the middle of the street in Chico proclaiming in this quadrant that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you don't know him, repent and be baptized. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom is near. And I didn't care what people thought about me. I know the end of the story. If you know the end of the story, you can walk with fire. And you can call down fire from heaven and say, destroy you prophets of Baal. My faith will prove strong that Christ will show up when I need Him. Where is the fire, church? Where is our fire? This, this is a deep plea from my heart that we need to wake up. That we need to wake up, church, and proclaim boldly that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that He is the coming King, that He has come, that He is here, and He is to come. Jesus Christ is King, now and forevermore. one small way that we have for you guys to take tangibly for today. We printed off flyers just with our services on it. I don't know why, but during Christmas time, people seem to be more receptive to coming to church. If you know someone who's not involved with the church, I'm not interested in taking people from other churches, but if you know those who only go to church once a year, who have lost the fire burning that they once had, that have fallen from their first love, that have gone astray, that need an invitation to come back, 
whether it's to this service. I, I don't even care if it's here on Sunday morning. This is just one option. If it's to your house, if it's to the brewery to go talk, to have coffee somewhere, wherever it is, if it's an opportunity for you to say, hey, I have a fire inside of me burning brightly for Jesus and I want to share it with you, invite them to coffee, invite them to church, whatever it is, share this cosmic Christmas season with them. That's my plea. Would you guys pray with me as the worship team comes forward? God, I thank you for your promises. I thank you for your fulfillment of promises from the beginning of time until now. You have been faithful and you have been true. God, I thank you that we can trust you. I thank you that we can put our hope in you. I, I'm praying, Lord, that right now the fire within our hearts would burn brightly for you, that our faith would be bold and courageous, that we would remember the heights from which we've fallen, that we would draw back to our first love, that we would testify of the goodness of God. God, we, we do that now as our hearts turn to you in worship. May the songs be a proclamation of our heart's love for you. May you be glorified, God, in your name. Amen. Please stand with us as we continue to sing our praise to the Lord this morning. <clears throat>